Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we are talking about Celine Dion's devastating diagnosis of stiff person syndrome, along with self-harm in adolescence. Plus, we all do it, procrastination. You know, you've turned that project in late. You haven't met that deadline. What is procrastination? Who does it? And what can we do about it? The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Well, you know, they say that uh, somebody said, somebody in a very high position, very influential position, said that COVID was over. I believe that was President Joe Biden. And there's a lot of governments that feel uh, COVID is over. But you know what? COVID isn't over. And COVID has demonstrated that repeatedly over the years. It is a medical condition that has divided us and it has prevented us from seeing our relatives at holiday times and beyond, whether they have been hospitalized or have been in long-term care facilities. It has certainly wreaked havoc upon society in so many different ways. It's been politicized. People have decided that scientists didn't know what they were talking about, but Facebook experts did. People were giving medical advice on Instagram, on all sorts of social media platforms, TikTok. And um, people decided not to listen to physicians, but rather to listen to somebody potentially who was looking for votes or somebody who just decided that they're out to get us, the goblins. (laughs) Um, a lot of conspiracy theorists. I mean, I think when they look back on this time period, a hundred years from now, I I think they're going to think, wow, it was so wacky (laughs) at that time. Um, we do that. We look back and think, can you imagine, can you imagine that they did surgery without anesthesia, for example, or that, um, a medical condition was, that was applied only to women, of course, was called hysteria. Um, you know, so we learn a lot as we go on, but you know, COVID is still here. The COVID cases are up. We're actually having a bit of a trifecta of viruses here in this country and to the South and and around the world. We're seeing little surges and, and blips and places recommending to put a mask on when you go indoors, no mandates, but recommending we've seen what's happened in China with their zero COVID policies and what it's done to that society. Um, You know, but a lot of people just basically want to know in their everyday life, you know, how do you stay safe, especially with the cases increasing? We're hearing about children dying of flu, an, an inordinate number of children dying of flu, much higher than previous years. I mean, our our hearts break when we think about that. But do these people who are spewing all of this stuff on social media think about those who have lost loved ones, those who are whose hearts are breaking this holiday season because they cannot spend that time because they lost a loved one through COVID. Uh, It's been a very, very, very difficult few years, and it's just not over yet. And I have said that, so I don't want you to forget that. You know, although we don't talk about COVID like we did with Dr. Jason, Jason Kinderchuk so frequently during the height of the pandemic, I don't want you to think that I've forgotten about it. And I do appreciate all of your emails, regardless of what they are. But this one in particular, 
Hi, Maureen. At Christmas parties, what is your opinion regarding masks? Are indoor parties still risky? And is mask wearing still advisable? I wear a mask in stores and other indoor venues. But if I wore a mask to a Christmas party, I'd be the only one with the mask. A couple of weeks ago, you covered Christmas parties and drinking, but didn't mention the virus aspect of that. My bad. Does that mean no masks is all right? No, it doesn't, Doug. Uh, at Christmas parties, 20 people, what is your opinion regarding masks? Are indoor parties still risky? And is mask wearing still advisable? To be honest with you, you know, you actually have to mitigate risk here and, and your own risk. And, you know, I, to be honest with you, I'm just not comfortable, but I do a fair bit of consulting in COVID and I'm looking at the numbers and looking at the wastewater data and that kind of thing. And so I'm not comfortable going to an indoor Christmas party um, of, well, I just turned one down. It was like, I think like maybe, maybe like 30 or 40 people were going to be going, but I, I really didn't want to wear a mask at the party. And not that I'm a hundred percent that I think at a party, just go and wear a mask and you'll be fine because, you know, everybody is ebullient and happy and celebrating and singing and drinking and, you know, spewing respiratory dry, dro droplets <laughs> throughout the air and COVID is airborne. So, you know, I'm still not comfortable. I might've been a few weeks ago, had we not had this recent uptick in the East coast, on the East coast. And, um, so, you know what, if you want to go to that party, maybe ask the host or hostess or them or they to open the windows. You might want to wear a mask partly. I mean, I've certainly been at places where I'm the only one in a mask, but I don't care. I figure they're thinking I have an autoimmune disease or something, but the bottom line is I don't want to get COVID. Somebody very close to me, Two people, in fact, very close to me have gotten COVID. It has lasted 10 days. Let me tell you what has lasted for them. Muscle aches, fevers up and down, breaking out into sweats four or five times a day, um, fatigue, rubbery feeling legs, cough, sore throat like they were knives, um, you know, scratching their throats they were both extremely sick and only really started to get better about day eight, day nine. That just, I just don't want that to interfere with my life. Both of these people were exposed to somebody, uh, to a place where there had been an outbreak and yes, outbreaks are happening sadly once again. So I will say I'm comfortable enough with my own family uh, to have a gathering that way, maybe a few extra, but that I know that I know that aren't sick, that I know will be extremely responsible test before they come, um, and will not come if they have any symptoms at all, but it's gotta be people that you trust. But if you go into a party where you don't know people, you don't know, you don't know how they're feeling. You don't know if they're symptomatic. You don't know if they have been exposed. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I turned this party down um, this weekend, but I did go to a party. I forgot about this. I think it was the end of October and there was dinner being served and there were probably 40, 50 people there. And I was eh, a little uncomfortable. We were a little uncomfortable. I was more, I was more uncomfortable, <laughs> but went 
late after the dinner. And that wasn't necessarily, that was kind of by happenstance, which was great. So we weren't around everybody that, you know, that was serving dinner. That can be a bigger risk too. But we got in and somebody wanted me to, wanted to introduce me to somebody. And I was like, ah, you know, I really didn't want to. So I was very careful. I stayed away from the person. Don't ask me why, but it's just like, ah, I just don't need to meet anybody new. Anyway, and I stayed like six feet away, which isn't even great because COVID's airborne. So if it's going to be there, it's going to be throughout the whole house, wherever the people with it walked. And then I, you know, had a conversation with somebody in another room and I kind of just, you know, made my way, stayed away from the matting crowd, if you will. And um, I get a call, of course, the next day. So-and-so, the person I introduced you to has COVID. I'm like, oh, great. Anyway, and then somebody else later, uh, another friend of mine was at the party, actually got COVID. Um, I think it was like three days later, but believes they got that COVID from the party, which I believe they did as well. So I managed to to escape getting COVID just from changing a few of my behaviors, going to that party. And, but I tell you, I, you know, was not comfortable, you know, testing, waiting for it to pop positive, but fortunately it didn't. So I did not wear a mask. I have to say at that party, that was the end of October. Things were a little bit different then. Things are changing now because we've had, you know, more gatherings, people are indoors more, it's getting a bit colder, that kind of thing. People are traveling more. So anyway, the choice is always yours, but don't blame me if you go to a Christmas party and you get COVID. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a tough thing to avoid. There's a lot of people that suffer all through the year and the holiday times does not mean immunity for many people. And this is one medical condition that I think has to be extremely debilitating for people. And I was also very happy to see that there was a new and novel potential treatment program for people who suffer with irritable bowel syndrome. Now, people with irritable bowel syndrome have uh, so many symptoms that can impact their quality of life. You can imagine fatigue, body symptoms, self-compassion issues, uh, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain. There are so many symptoms that can really impact your life and your world. And, you know, this also goes along with, you know, oftentimes when somebody tells me that they have something, a symptom of something, and I'll give you an example in a sec, um, and they're getting treated for it, I will often say, well, why do you have that? And, and for example, I had a patient who told me that they were getting iron infusions for anemia. And I said, why do you have anemia? You know, especially if you're getting iron infusions, it's a good idea to have a conversation with your healthcare provider. You know, what's the cause? Let's just not treat this. What's the cause of, of the anemia? This person went on to, um, have uh, renal cancer uh, three or four years later. And oftentimes people with renal cancer have a history of anemia. And now they may or, that may or may not have been the case that that anemia would have found that renal cancer sooner, but you know what? You never know. And so it, it's a good idea. And, and so the thing is, it's always a good idea to find the underlying cause of a medical condition, not just treat it. Um, 
it was a study published recently in the American Journal of Gastroenterologies, uh, Gastroenterology. And other studies uh, in the past have found that in-person yoga programs can improve physiological, psychological, and even emotional health. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people found virtual options for all sorts of things, whether it's doctor's visits or um, you know, university courses, or even in my clinic, you know, so much of it is online now. Um, but with the growth of those virtual options during the COVID-19 pandemic, an online yoga program could be helpful as well to help those who suffer um, with irritable bowel syndrome, symptoms like fatigue and, and stress. Irritable bowel syndrome affects up to 15 to 20% of the North American population. We've made many advances in the area, but we have limited options to offer patients. Oftentimes, the, you know, doctors are focused on treating the symptoms, but not the underlying cause. And I think that is just so important. What, why do you have irritable bowel syndrome? I have said that to patients <laughs> in the past and they're like, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think it's a very important question. And there have been advances in the gut microbiome, and there's evolving science on the brain-gut axis and mind-body interventions. And so online yoga could offer a therapeutic option that patients can use to improve the overall course of their illness. So the study was done at the University of Calgary, thank you, Alberta, between March 2021 and December 2022. It wasn't weren't too many people enrolled. It was 79 people and they were enrolled into either a yoga program or an advice only control group for eight weeks. They had an IBS or irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis and at least 75 out of 500 points on the IBS symptom severity scale. And that indicates mild IBS, but this is something that could help people prevent progression. And so they wanted, the researchers wanted to see people who had a decrease of 50 points on their um, symptom severity scale. And the yoga program was based on UPA yoga, UPA yoga, and that's a Hatha yoga, which was developed by the Isha Foundation of Inner Scientists. The members of the advice only group were given 10, a 10 minute video with general education and some resources and the role of mind-body therapies and IBS. Uh, in the yoga group, um, obviously there was a certified yoga facilitator, facilitator, sorry, from the Isha foundation. And that included directional movements, neck rotations, breathing practices, breath watching and mantra meditation with, um, chanting. Anyway, you can tell I'm not really an um chanter. <laughs> I should be meditating, but anyway, um, I do, I actually do, uh, before I go to bed at night, I have my own kind of meditation, but anyway, um, so this uh, this actually 37% of people in the yoga group had an, a decrease in their severity score of 50 points or more. So that was 37% of people as compared with eight people or 20% in the control group. The responders reported improvements in IBS symptoms, quality of life, perceived stress, COVID-19 related stress. Among the 14 in the yoga group, there were significant improvements in quality of life, fatigue, body symptoms, self-compassion, and COVID-19 related stress. And you know what? We have to think about broader options, better options. We have to think creatively about how to treat our patients much better. And, you know, we've got to be open to it. Have you ever put anything off? Have you, do you repeatedly put things off? 
we call that procrastination. And you know what? You may not be a procrastinator, but you know what? Nobody can do everything on time all the time and in due time all the time. But, you know, some people are such procrastinators that they come off as lazy. It's perceived as laziness. There are many types of avoidance architect archetypes or procrastinators. There's the performer, the self-deprecator, the overbooker, the anxious procrastinator, and the novelty seeker, to name a few. And so if you figure out what group you're in, it can help you break out of your procrastination patterns. That's like the first thing. I was talking to a um, patient recently, and they were talking about, they're in a toxic relationship, and they were talking about how overwhelmed they are because the person in their, that they're in the relationship with puts so much on them, but they also don't say no. You know, we have to teach people how to treat us. So they would probably be the overbooker um, or the don't say noer. I don't know. Um, no is a word in the dictionary. It's a real word and, and you can actually say it. You don't even need to give an explanation. But a lot of people become addicted to being busy. We have this chronic busyness syndrome that goes on. Um, and so there's, you know, that's, this particular person is missing out on such a great opportunity because they can't dedicate the time because they're actually overwhelmed and depleted. And uh. anyway, it's a terrible place to be. Then there's also the self-deprecator. So somebody's always jokingly putting themselves down um, and, or they don't think that they're good enough. They don't want to, you know, I, I'm not capable of doing that. I can't do that. There's also the anxious procrastinator, which is, you know, they might repeatedly postpone bringing up an important issue like at work, for example, or in your relationship because you feel scared of speaking up in social situations. You're afraid of what somebody might say. I mean, I have to be, I have to be honest. I've been, I've been like that. I can relate to that because it's like, Oh, I don't want to say anything. You know, what if they, but you know what you learn too. And you're like, no, I'm just saying it. But anyway, <laughs> it's taken me a few years. Um, they're the neurotic procrastinators and, and they might be high in neuroticism on the, on the personality trait kind of thing. So, I mean, they, they don't say anything, you know, they don't speak up at all, but you know what? Um, and so, you know, it's, it's important because we've got to get out of these, you know, these ways because they can really impact your life. And, you know, especially with the new year coming, all, lots of people are going to make new year's resolutions. They're going to be on top of their work. They're not going to procrastinate. And then, you know, two weeks in, they're not going to drink two weeks in they're drinking. They haven't turned in their assignment and, or they're cramming the night before something is due. We all procrastinate, that's true, but nobody considers why they might procrastinate. And that's why it's important to understand whether you're a fun seeker. Okay, I might be that one. A novelty seeker. Okay, I might be that one too. <laughs> Perfectionist. Yep. Procrasti cleaner. Oh, um, I like it clean, but you know, sometimes you can be like, oh, I just don't feel like cleaning. It's like the most boring thing. I don't like to go to the supermarket, the bank, the gas station. Um, but yet I like, or, or I clean my house, but I like to a clean house. I like money in the bank. I like food in the fridge and I like a full tank of gas <laughs> anyway, but I don't like going to any of those places. So, um, so we we all do this. Some people work better under pressure. They think they have plenty of time to do something. 
you know, and they feel alive under pressure. So you really have to take a little self inventory and, you know, ask yourself, why did I save this until the 11th hour? Cause it's not sustainable. You'll get depleted. You know, you, it's so better to, so much better to do it, get it done. And, you know, just have, try to keep those distractions if that's what's causing you um, to procrastinate, you know, but you might be the type that feels more concentrated once you have put yourself in a time bind, you know, anyway, but it doesn't matter. Whatever type you are, that's fine. That is good. But sometimes you have to work around it. So your biggest challenge here is getting started. And I mean, I, I use a lot of techniques in my everyday life that are very helpful. So if I have to be somewhere at three, in my head, I have to be there at quarter to three. I like to be at the gate of an airport one hour ahead of boarding. So I put that, you know, I arrive at that airport so much earlier than I need to. I also have TSA and, you know, Nexus and all those pre-check things that, that put me in that special line. <laughs> it's really the only exclusive club I belong to. <laughs> and I, every time I go there and I shouldn't say this, but it is the holiday season and I do want to give to you. I want to share. Um, I go in that line uh, and uh, I think, why am I the only person in this line? And there's 500 of you in that other line and it only costs $50. And I think it lasts for at least five years. It might be 10 and a 30 minute interview at the airport. I mean, that's Nexus. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a great little benefit and it doesn't cost any money, but you know what? I, I don't say this when I'm in the line, but I'm thinking it every single time anyway. And you know what? Sometimes some of the airports, they don't have a dedicated Nexus line because there aren't enough of us in the club. <laughs> so you have, you get to cut in front of everybody else. And, uh, anyway, I feel terrible, but nonetheless, um, so that's my airport story. Basically, what are we talking about? Procrastination. Yeah. Let me get to that. Okay. I'm putting that off. Um, you know, if I have a deadline, it's, you know, February 1st, for example, I am already January 15th. I have it all set two weeks ahead. And if I need extra time, I have it. And then I'm not, I don't like my heart racing for that reason. I, I don't like to be stressed. It, it's just not the way I live my life. And, and I've certainly been under those circumstances. And so, you know, you live and you learn. Um, you know, sometimes people are addicted to YouTube and they're just like, and that's the biggest distraction. It's a massive distraction. And so that is your biggest challenge is getting off of social media. You know, you have to feel nourished and energized to get your work done. But a lot of people suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out. I got it. We all have it. Um, we feel at some point in our lives, you know, how could you possibly make yourself sit down and complete that boring project? Oh, and the more boring the project is, the like cleaning the house or food shopping. Um, I'm not a foodie. Um, the more you're likely to delay because there's so many more fun and exciting things to do. And, you know, FOMO never goes away. And there's always something more exciting to do. 
Uh, and there's always one more video to watch or just one more post to read or one more Instagram to check. You know, this is the dark playground. And that's when leisure activities happen at a time when leisure activities are not supposed to be happening. And the fun that you have in that dark playground is not fun because it's unearned and the air is filled with dread and guilt and anxiety, and then it can move on to self-hatred. And, you know, but once you do something, then you can have the fun after that. I have to say my, they call me quick draw McGraw <laughs> because if someone calls me, and this is not just one person. This has been noticed by many people who call me. They're like, that didn't even ring. Quick draw McGraw. Uh, I answer that phone so quickly because it's get her done, get her done, get her done. And if I am given a task, I do it then. I don't, I don't wait. I don't delay. I do it then. Now, that's not to say there aren't things that I don't put off. Yeah, there are things that I, I do put off. One time I had a stack of checks that I didn't deposit into the bank. Couldn't care less about it. So the laissez-faire um, procrastinator. But the biggest challenge here is just getting to the work. You know, you got to stay in. That's the problem, but that's also what you got to do. So you want to give yourself some timed fun breaks. You might want to work for a couple hours and then, you know, go get together with somebody for lunch or, you know, you know, take breaks in between instead of just working like a whole, you know, eight hour day and not stopping. Although we can do that and that can, you know, we can accomplish a lot in that time and you can feel darn good about that. Um, you know, lots of people navigate between their personal and professional worlds. And, and a lot of people working from home are doing that. And, you know, we're bouncing between devices like your personal laptop and your work laptop and your personal phone and your work phone and your Canadian phone, your American phone. <laughs> it can get messy and things can get lost. So you, you might want to use a program to help you, um, you know, sync your calendars or, you know, one place that where everything is. There's a, there's a whole bunch of different programs like, I mean, even Slack is helpful. I don't, I'm not, you know, pushing any of them. Shift is another one. These are just ones that I know that I've used in the past. Of course, I, I use them for a project, then I can't remember their names. But anyway, um, but you can have multiple accounts on your dashboard and, and toggle between them. And so, you know, you don't want to miss professional or personal meetings, you know, responding to um, meeting invites, and then it pops up on your calendar. But, it, you know, also immediately add it to your phone as well, just as a backup. Um, you know, there are novelty seekers as well that are procrastinators, this, this type, and their biggest challenge is completing that project because they have this, you know, the, the grass isn't greener on the other side, it's greener where you water. And constantly coming up with new and better ideas and projects, but then they get bored easily and they don't take the time to, the big F word, finish the project. So they, they have a never ending case of shiny object syndrome. What's the next shiny object? And then they focus all of their attention on that new and fun trend. And then they drop that one as soon as something else comes along, just another ornament on the tree. So, you know, you might want to use like a, a notes app to write down all of your creative, innovative, new ideas. So you don't forget them while you finish your current task. This is good. This is a very challenging one. You know, those people, they flip from one thing to the next. Um, you know, but they never bring those 
new creative ideas to life, to full life. And that means finishing that project. And, you know, again, it's so difficult to be distracted. It's so easy. I shouldn't say it's terrible too, but it's, it's easy to be distracted. We have constant notifications from technology. And you know what? I never, and you can, if you want, I'm not saying like, I do this and you should do that. I'm not by no means. Am I saying this? These are all like things that I've tried to make my world easier. I never accept notifications. I've made mistakes not accepting (laughs) notifications. I've missed a fair number of WhatsApp messages because I don't accept notifications on it. But anyway, um, but there are some programs like one I recently um, saw. Oh, it was Shift actually. And you can mute the notifications feature. So put it on and then mute it. Um, There's also the perfectionist procrastinator. And those are the people that it's not quite done yet. I can do better. I'm going to continue to make it better until it's done. Um, You know, but it's never going to be perfect. Perfectionists heavily criticize their work and they set unrealistic high bars for themselves. And that can lead to disappointment and frustration and failure, quite frankly. The the perfectionist tends to procrastinate when they fear producing a low standard of work, believing that by having a little bit extra time, they would perfect their task or the fear of failing. But they're more likely to fail because of that perfectionism. So you got to let go. You know, look at the five most recent tasks that you have completed. Were every single one of them perfect? I don't think so. Were they sufficient? Probably. You know what? Sometimes good is good enough. You're already working at a high standard. You know, try to be kinder to yourself. Um, anyway, so there. the point is there are so many reasons that we procrastinate. And there are so many different ways you can utilize technology today to stay on the right task, to finish the task. Um, You know, if you're working from home, try setting up a clean designated workspace that has minimal home distractions. And also, you know, I used to call it the, uh, the takeoff and the landing. And, you know, at the beginning of the day when I worked in an office, I would you know, make sure I was organized for the day. And then about a half an hour before I was leaving, it was the landing and I would tidy everything up so that I, it's like making your bed in the morning. You come back to a nicely made bed. It's, you know, you clean your desk up, you know, don't make it a mess, just have it empty and everything's organized and put away. And then you come the next day, your mind, your desk is clear, your mind is clear. And this will help reduce the cleanup thoughts and help to keep you on track. So take the plunge uh, and, and stop procrastinating and try to uh, utilize some of the different strategies that are out there. But there's also a great TEDx talk, or TED talk actually it was, Inside the Mind of the Master Procrastinator. And I suggest that you uh, have a listen to that. Goblin mode, that's Oxford's word of the year, interestingly enough. But what does it mean? I had to Google it myself. It's described as a way of life that gives people permission to ditch societal norms and embrace their basic instincts. And and don't you think that uh, you've done that since the pandemic? Um, You know, it's basically we're just, you know, not willing to go back to those societal norms that we had pre-pandemic. Um, I, by the way, I just wanted to mention that some of the other words were, um, number two was metaverse and number three was I stand with, but goblin mode, 
won 93% of more than 300,000 votes. Previous year's winners included VAX, V-A-X, which as you all know, unless you've been living under a rock these past few years, is short for vaccine. Oh my gosh, not the V word. There used to be another V word. Anyway, um, but that has just been usurped by the VAX. Um, the jab. I wonder if jab will win. It should have. Anyhow, um, in 2021, climate emergency and um, and then selfie in 2013. Anyway, so these are all words that you know become endemic, ubiquitous in society. And anyway, Oxford English Dictionary defines goblin mode as a slang term. It's a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. And so it's like, you know, I'm going to go to goblin mode. Here we are. These are people who, um, because of its rise in popularity, following the COVID lockdown restrictions that were then eased in many countries, and people started to venture out of their homes more regularly. And it, it captured that prevailing mood of people who rejected the idea of returning to normal life or rebelled against the increasingly unattainable aesthetic standards and unsustainable lifestyles that were exhibited on social media. And that was according to the release by Oxford's dictionary. Um, you know, it's, I think we are more likely to, you know, prefer being at home on the couch just to chop on on a zoom meeting <laughs> um we'll get a light maybe to make us look a little bit better a ring light i'm not going to put any makeup on or anything gain some weight oh well who cares i'm not going out nobody's going to see me um not dressing i i had a friend she had all these bags of clothing she was giving away and i'm like why are you giving this away why are you giving this away and she's just like you know what i know it's nice i like it i'm never going to wear it i have nowhere to wear it to and it's like i have a slew of dresses in my closet that i used to do for in-person presentations but I really only have to dress from the shoulders up now. Um, I, I am back to giving presentations, and, but they're they're all Zoom. They're all by webinar, and and so it's basically to put pounds of makeup on. But anyway, we we are different. We are approaching life in a goblin mode. Um, you know, the the Twitter user. We have to give credit where credit is due. Dave McNamee, McNamee, sorry, McNamee. Dave McNamee, whose tweet about goblin mode went viral in February, said he sees it as a state of mind. It's like when you wake up at 2 a.m. and shuffle into the kitchen kitchen wearing nothing but a long t-shirt to make a weird snack like melted cheese on saltines. That sounds good. It's about a complete lack of aesthetic. But why would a goblin care what they look like? Why would a goblin care about presentation? And the, re the relatability of goblin mode for so many people, it demonstrates just how much COVID-19 has shaped our culture over the past two years. And, and I think that's probably why it won this award. It resonates with all of us who are feeling, you know, we're feeling a bit overwhelmed. We're feeling done. We're feeling overweight. We're feeling lazy. We're feeling tired. We're feeling like you know what, it's just best to sit home and watch Netflix or Apple TV plus, you know, where it's, you know, we're not always these perfectly curated people that we see or that we present to the world on, on Instagram and, and, and TikTok feeds, you know, there's people are embracing their inner goblin. And, and even there's a, something called be real. And it's, it's, you know, 
fighting up against Instagram where, you know, just post yourself as you are during that day. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Well, welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Hell Show. We've got lots to talk about in this hour. Um, you know, one part of it is um, a relationship tip. that I, I like to give you relationship tips every now and then. And uh, this one relates to your pennies and sense, if you will, <laughs> common sense. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. I just want to share a story, especially this time of year. It's super uh, important around your relationships, especially because it can be particularly stressful. And you know what? This time of year, it's it's pretty busy and you want more time. You don't want to rush through the holiday season, but hard as you might try, it might come early. Anyway, that's a little hint into what we might be talking about a little bit later. But right now, you know what they say, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. Joining me on the line is none other than the illustrious Dr. Tommy Mitchell. Um, we are, you know who she is. You have certainly heard her voice before. And um, she talks about wellness. She's a medical doctor. She talks about wellness and performance. She empowers all sorts of anyone who's working to reduce burnout and overwhelm so that they can increase productivity in the workplace. And she's a speaker, trainer, and writer. And she joins me on the line tonight from Vegas. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I am great. Okay. One time I had a business trip to Vegas. And so I said to my parents, why don't you come <laughs> and stay, you know, come and stay with me and in the hotel room and you know, I'll go to my conference or whatever. It wasn't a business meeting. It was conference. Anyway, I'll go to my mm -hmm. conference. And um, so anyway, we were all staying in the same hotel room. <laughs> and then um, my father made the statement. I don't know why they say what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas because nothing goes on in Vegas. <laughs> anyway, but I, and I'm the, the other same thing way. Was, <laughs> I'm the same way. It sort of also brought me back to my childhood because I was like, um, okay, I'd have dinner with my parents, and then I'd be like, okay, see you later. I'm going to Paris. And they're like, you're not going to Paris tonight. You're going home. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> anyway, so that's always my memory. Of, I have so many memories of Vegas <laughs> anyway because there are so many conferences that happen there. But I, I do yes, hope you're having exactly. a, a wonderful time. Yes, exactly. Definitely. Um, play. <laughs> yes, it's, that's always good. Nice balance of that is fantastic. And you know, somebody who has appeared in Vegas and is a national treasure for Canada. And you know, I mean, I'm so sad about this. I was so upset when I when I saw this. She has an amazing voice, and you know, I love yeah. music. And I, you know, I mean, she's just been just a, a national icon. Uh, Celine Dion announced that she has a rare disease, and and most of us have not even heard of this stiff person syndrome. She's had to cancel a lot of her upcoming performances, but you know we wish her well, and I know she's working to get strong. But but Dr. Mitchell, could you tell us what stiff person syndrome is? Well, number one, it's extremely rare. It truly is a one in a million kind of um, condition, and it is an acquired um, progressive syndrome where you have rigidity, spasms, like you lose control of your muscles. 
it can affect your ability to walk, even further down breathing. And it's really a diagnosis where you typically don't have any other neurological conditions going on, right? It's kind Mm -hmm. of like the last check on the box. So it's not common. Most people have never heard of it or seen somebody with it. I haven't yet seen someone diagnosed with it. So this was quite interesting to hear about Celine Dion and coming forth with her health challenges. And, and, you know, for me as a physician, watching her over the years and loving her, I knew something was wrong. Like it was, but that's another story entirely. But I'm just... Really? Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, And you thought it was something neurological? Um, well, you know, this condition can be caused by other conditions, whether it's it can caused by cancer, we call it perineoplastic, it can be caused, mm-hmm. be triggered by who knows, like infections, who knows, but I just didn't see her being well. You know, I just, Interesting. it's that gut you get as a physician, and I'm sure you've had it in nursing, you just walk into a room, you mm-hmm. see someone, and you're like, this is not, something's up, but I'm happy that mm-hmm. she's taken the time for herself and her health. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, this is a little bit of a diagnosis of exclusion or you go through like Parkinson's, MS, mm-hmm. other neurological disorders before you get to this. Is that um, yes. how it's diagnosed? Definitely. You basically go to the geneticist, get testing. You've always seen every internal doctor, medicine doctor, neurologist until somebody has the bright idea. Maybe this is what it is. Because again, it's mm-hmm. so rare. It's not on the top of people's mind. Like you might think ALS, like you said, Parkinson's, right. the other conditions that we're more aware of because they did. Right. But now this one will be brought forward because we all love Celine Dion. Like she's, like you said, it's a Canadian icon. Right. I mean, I did think she was painfully thin, you know. Yes. Um, exactly. I mean, that, that was, you know, I was, I was struck by that. Um, do most. Does this affect men more likely or women more commonly? Unfortunately, ladies, it's the ladies. It's more common in women. It used to be called stiff man syndrome, but they changed it to person. It's more right. common in women, as are autoimmune conditions where the body basically attacks itself. And diabetes and right. conditions are part of that. And, and is, why is that? Is it hormonal? I think hormones have a place. In it, um, but I, I still think there's so much more we yet to really truly understand. Um, mm-hmm. In that, there's a, there's, yeah. I mean, you know, could it be? I mean, stress is, is is stress a trigger? And you know, is it on a spectrum? Like, do some people have a mild case, and and other people have a severe case? Yes, definitely. There's a spectrum from very mild, hardly noticeable, to others who are more severely and fastly progressive, like wheelchair-bound problems of speaking or singing in Celine Dion's case, respiratory concerns, respiratory failure, you know. So, yes, definitely a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And stress and, and the body, oh, for sure. Ahead. No, I just uh, yeah. think stress and it's really respect. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. And, you know, we're all going to be stressed. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I hope no I didn't stress you. Oh, no, um, no, I'm but... chill. <laughs> Good. Me too. And so, you know, they want to hear from you more than me. Um, Stress affects the body. I mean, we all have stress. It's really how we manage the stress. And I imagine somebody like, you know, a high performer 
like Celine Dion with a very busy taxing schedule, I would imagine. And, you know, she lived through the death of her uh, beloved husband. You know, all of that, you know, there's a book by Gabor Mate, When the Body Says No, you know, Mm -hmm. very interesting book. I don't know if you've read that, but, um, you know, it's, um, I I wonder if that there's a relationship here, but, but otherwise, how is it treated? Um, well, we treat it with the symptoms. Symptoms. We usually use muscle relaxants um, mm-hmm. to treat it. We avoid opioids, and because typically the person's on like benzos, and you mix the two together, and you have problems with breathing, which we want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. Physio, like it's it's a supported treatment. It's basically based on the person's symptoms, but definitely. A class of medications called benzodiazepines, like Valium, the things that relax the muscles or gabardinergic, right. they call it, in the pharmaceutical world. And I try not to be tacky on this show. Yeah, and, and it seems to be, um, you know, treating with medications. But it, this is a progressive disease, is it not, where the stiffness of the muscles develop and um, it can actually gradually become fixed? Is that correct? 100%. You know, it can wax and wane, you know, improvement, regression, but generally you're, you're going more steps backwards than you're going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Over the journey, right? It's the symptoms, right. yeah. And she said she's going to focus on this and, and get stronger and, you know, uh, she's very hopeful. You know, what is the, what is the prognosis here? And I and I wish her every bit of health and for sure. Well, with any condition, yeah, exactly. With any condition, we hope for the best and prepare for the worst. But to, to, like generally, the prognosis for this is not good. There's no cure, right? Right, right. Definitely. It, it sounds like um, you know she has a, a fairly significant case. She talked about spasms, which can be triggered by unexpected loud noises or minor physical contact or um, temperature changes like cold, you know, I mean, she's from Montreal. Um, You know, this is a, uh, you know, stress or situations, stressful situations can cause a heightened emotional response. I mean, and those spasms can involve, you know, a specific part of the body or the entire body as well. I mean, spasms, I know in dealing with patients with spinal cord injury and my um, work that I have done, you know, the spasms are, you know, very, uh, really impact quality of life. What is this like? This must just be awful. It's terrible because you don't know what way your body's going to go on a given day. You could even get the spasms or you could do the opposite where your muscles just relax and you're like jello and you can't even stand. Like, how Mm -hmm. do you function? How do you walk sometimes how do you your safety is questioned right just walking across the street can right. be dangerous right so and then absolutely cold. she lives in canada she lives in montreal it's cold there's stress dr tommy mitchell is my guest recently in the news you may or may not have seen that ted cruz a center for a senator from texas did i get that right yes <laughs> anyway uh oh good <laughs> Um, his, this is no laughing matter, his daughter was reported to have been hospitalized for uh, self-harm. When we think about adolescents harming themselves, I mean, this is meant to be the, you know, a fun time of life. This is meant to be, 
you know, fantastic. But, you know, in the world in which we live in, you can see that some adolescents are struggling to cope with extreme levels of, uh, levels of stress in their school, in their family, their peer relationships, and on social media as well. So Dr. Mitchell has agreed to talk about this self-harming behavior and why adolescents do it. So first and foremost, there are some common ways that adolescents self-harm. And, and what are the most common ways that they do? Um, cutting which is in this case, um, inflicting pain on themselves, um, mm -hmm. withdrawing, uh, just and and what are out. what are some of the the less common ways? Like is is pulling out bodily hairs and you know yeah. ingesting toxic substances, those kind of things. Those are all harmful. Yeah, it's often an anxiety response. You have to, like I often see them in the office where they, they're missing their eyebrows, right? Or their nails are ragged, they're pulling. It's just, it's often a response to calm whatever is going on inside. And, you know, in this case and many others, it's a mental struggle that they're having. This is right. how they are presenting. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's got to be tough to be a teenager today. Oftentimes people think, you know, the cutting, let's, you know, some that I have seen is literally slashes all the way up the forearm. Yes. Um, I saw this. Yeah. I saw this on a teenage girl whose parents had an, uh, a built-in swimming pool. And I just thought, mm. how did they not see that? And they did not see it. Um, and, but oftentimes people think, they are suicidal, but are they? Not necessarily. You definitely can be suicidal, but sometimes it's the early stages of you know something's wrong and you need you want that attention, and so you're not getting something in in your world. This pain you're trying to avoid for avoid. They don't necessarily want to end their lives, but it's definitely a flag. Like help me. Um, they oh, need, of course. They and their family yeah. need help or support. It is a big red flag. And you yeah. know, and some of the reasons I understand is that they feel emotionally disconnected from or invalidated by their parents or they want to fit in yeah. in a particular peer group or they might feel emotionally dead. Is this a self-harm, you know, a coping strategy for some it of the demands? Yes, it is. Because they often feel like this is something that they can control. Um, the demanding parents, the authoritarian parenting, the very strict views that perhaps don't give them that wiggle room to be a teenager or express their feelings without, you know, being shunned. Um, these are all things that impact young developing minds. And then you add mm -hmm. being, you know, social media, that's a pressure that, you know, we didn't have growing up. So well, mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, Facebook. Just we came, have it now. Big we time. have it now, right? <laughs> it's, and TikTok challenges and all these things and filters. Exactly. It's a but lot. I was it's interested to see that for girls, uh, self-harm may be uh, a coping strategy to deal in families and situations where the father is the dominant voice when it comes to discipline and decision-making. I thought that was very interesting um, yes. to see that. Yeah. And what are some of the signs that might indicate uh, a teen has a problem with self-harming behavior? Secretive. Um, well, if you see the scars, if you see the cuts on them, they're hi or they're hiding mm -hmm. their arms, they're often ashamed of it, but it's mm -hmm. there. Um, just, just changing behavior, changing moods. It could be, there's so many things you could 
seeing these children. And when in doubt, ask, how are you mm-hmm. doing? Like, how are you feeling? Like, gain that level of trust and really mm-hmm. ask more than just how are you and say fine. Like, you really bring out those questions. Right. And learn more. I- and, and these kids are, they're seeking that quick relief from emotional distress. People would think, how can you cut yourself? How can you burn yourself? How can you pick away your eyebrows? But um, self-harming behaviors result in this endorphin effect. So they, they actually, yeah. you know, feel, that, you know, this endorphin is secreted into their bloodstreams and they feel a, a numbing or a pleasurable sensation. This is relief for them. Yeah, if they're Vicodin, but, um, if they're lidocaine, if they're, that's what they're doing they're medicating yeah. with the body's natural exactly system. we're up against the clock sorry thank oh, you so much for talking okay. about these two important subjects and enjoy vegas <laughs> oh i will uh, have fun all right i will yeah. thank you all right it's time for the bedroom bulletin i know we're all rushing around and we don't want the holidays to come too quickly but they do <laughs> and so do you uh between one in three, about one in three men between the sheets, uh, between the ages of 18 and 59, have problems with premature ejaculation. This is such a common question that I get. And it, it's so common that I actually forget to talk about it because I feel like I'm talking about it all the time, but that is with my patients. The, the problem is often thought to be psychological, but it can also be biological. So we're going to have a little education, little class. Class, pay attention. <laughs> Sit up. Um, this this is important. I'm paying attention, so, by the way. <laughs> but that's not my problem. At least someone is. <laughs> TMI there, TMI. <laughs> one in three, one in three, don't forget, 18 to 59 years of age. <laughs> yeah, that's my age. <laughs> That's all of our age group. Um, ejaculation is the expulsion of semen from the body, and premature ejaculation is when ejaculation happens sooner than a man or their partner would like during sex. The other names for it are rapid ejaculation, premature climax, early ejaculation, regardless of what you call it, it's not, it might not be a cause for worry, but it can be frustrating because it can make sex less enjoyable and it can also be, you know, a cause of concern and and it can impact your relationship, a cause of concern for your partner. And, but if it does cause you problems, it is important to get the treatment for it because there is treatment for it. Um, Just so you know how ejaculation works, I think it's important to understand how the body works. Um, you are getting a PhD, right? You've been, if you've been listening to me for 10 years, you should get an honorary PhD. Anyway, uh, ejaculation is controlled by the central nervous system. And so when a man is sexually stimulated, the signals are sent to the spinal cord and the brain. And when a man reaches a certain level of excitement, signals are then sent from your brain to your reproductive organs. And this causes semen to be ejected through the penis. And we call that ejaculation. And and ejaculation actually has two phases. It's the emission phase and expulsion. And so emission is when the sperm, sperm moves from the testicles to the prostate and mixes with seminal fluid. And that's what makes semen. 
and the vas deferentia are tubes or the vas deferens are tubes that help move the sperm from the testicles through the prostate to the base of the penis. Um, and anyway, so then you have expulsion. Expulsion is when the muscles at the base of the penis contract, and that is what forces semen out of your penis. And mostly ejaculation and orgasm happen at the same time, but some men can climax without ejaculating. We see that sometimes in neurological conditions, but in most cases, erections go away after this step. Per, uh, premature ejaculation is a problem for men who have erection problems, erectile dysfunction or ED, and that's when men are not able to attain and or maintain an adequate erection, uh, an erection adequate for penetrative sex. And since erection goes away after ejaculation, it can be tough to know if the problem is pre premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. You need to treat the erectile dysfunction first. So it's important to find out, is it erectile dysfunction or is it premature ejaculation? Because premature ejaculation may not actually be a problem once your erectile dysfunction is treated. We don't really know the cause, the exact cause of premature ejaculation. A lot of it is anxiety. A lot of it is like thinking about people get in their head, the other head. <laughs> They're thinking about, oh my gosh, is, you know, what do they think of me, this partner that I'm with? You know, um, if that's possible. <laughs> anyway, but anxiety can be a cause. Um, men think? I'm kidding. Anyway, um, but serotonin, speaking of the head, serotonin or the brain, serotonin may play a role. And serotonin is a natural substance in your body that is created by the nerves. And high amounts of serotonin in the brain increase the time to ejaculation. And low amounts can shorten the time to ejaculation and lead to premature ejaculation. Sometimes we do prescribe certain medications to help that. There can also be psychological, there are SSRIs that are, are treated or antidepressants can be used to slow things down. It also can be psychological issues can be the root of the problem for premature ejaculation. I mentioned anxiety, but depression, stress, guilt, and that's that in your head, you know, like maybe, maybe you're having an extramarital affair and you're feeling guilty. Should I be here? What am I doing? I've crossed the threshold. Anyway, um, you can have unrealistic expectations about your sexual performance there can be a history of sexual repression that can lead to premature ejaculation. That's actually a very common reason. Lack of self-confidence. As I always say, confidence is sexy. It can also lead to better performance in the bedroom. Uh, and also relationship problems can lead to premature ejaculation. So it's important that you take care of emotional problems, especially first. Maybe rule that out first. Really do a self-inventory. Very important. Premature ejaculation can happen at any age, and aging is not a direct cause of premature ejaculation, although aging does cause changes in erection and ejaculation. And so, for example, for older men, erections may not be as firm or as large or long-lasting, and erections may not last as long before ejaculation occurs. And so the feeling that ejaculation is about to happen may be shorter, and these changes can lead to an older man ejaculating too soon. Um, you know, with premature ejaculation, you might feel you lose some of the closeness shared 
with a sexual partner. So you might feel angry, ashamed, or upset, and you might turn away from your partner. You might be embarrassed. But premature ejaculation doesn't affect just affect you. It can also affect your partner. That's why it's important to talk about it. Don't be embarrassed and get the treatment that you need because you might actually feel less connected or feel hurt um, you know, by, by this, or your partner might feel hurt as well. And so talking about the problem is such an important step. And we find that couples don't talk about these intimate issues or they don't talk about their sex lives with one another. And that's according to the closer study that was done, a global study that was done and actually showed the Canadians are the least likely to talk about how are you going to improve your sex life if you can't talk to your partner and tell them what feels good for you and what are some of the activities that you want to engage in or that you'd like to explore or to try. So you might seek out some couples counseling or sex therapy. There's exercises like the squeeze technique might be helpful for you and your partner to prolong an erection. Um, you can email me if you want me to send you how the squeeze technique works. I may not have enough time to go through this, but may, you know, maybe we'll cover it, uh, cover it um, next week. But, um, but it, it's basically, you know, I, I don't like to, I don't like to procrastinate really. It's basically um, you or your partner stimulate your penis until you are close to ejaculation. And when, the, when you are close to ejaculation, you or your partner firmly squeezes your penis so your erection partly goes away. And the goal is for you to become aware of the sensations leading to climax. And the squeeze method may help you better control and delay climax on your own or delay um, that um, help you with premature ejaculation. There's also the stop-start method. Now I've gone from one thing to the next. I'm completely procrastinating. <laughs> I've gotten distracted because I want to tell you about the stop start method. And that's when you're about to climax, you or your partner stops until the urge to climax lets up a little bit. And as you regain control, you and your partner start stimulating your penis again, you or your partner or you and your partner, whatever, um, whatever floats your boat. And you do this three times and you ejaculate on the fourth time and you repeat this method three times a week until you've gained more control. You might notice that you do in fact gain more control. There are no drugs actually that are used to treat, that have been approved to treat um, premature ejaculation, but people use numbing creams and numbing sprays, but men and women on antidepressants actually have delayed orgasms. So that might help you, especially if you, which I mentioned earlier, that might help you if you have premature ejaculation. And if you have depression on top of it, like, so the, the fluoxetine and paroxetine and sertraline and clomipramine and tramadol, they all affect serotonin levels and they are used off label, what we call off label. So not for their indication, but for another reason other than the drug's original use. Um, I mentioned the numbing creams or sprays. I don't really like anything that numbs anything, but go ahead, try it if you want. Um, they're put on the head of the penis about 20 to 30 minutes before sex. And if you leave that numbing cream or spray on your penis for longer than suggested, not a good thing because that actually might cause your erection to go away. Um, it could also cause vaginal numbness if you, um, you know, you don't want to leave it on the exposed area during vaginal penetrative sex because it can call, cause vaginal numbness. Um, so you want to wash the cream off your penis five to 10 minutes before sex. And then also wearing a condom, if you would like to, uh, can help dull sensation as well. 
you know, these treatments actually work quite well. And, you know, if people seek treatment for premature ejaculation, this is one of those things that actually can be overcome. There's no way to promise uh, recovery, but you know what? 95% of the time, this can get better. People address it. And, you know, learning how to relax may help. Mindfulness may help. Um, but it's very important to work with your healthcare provider about this. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Um, but you do want to look at, you know, your personal relationships, you know, are there certain things that make premature ejaculation worse for you, like drugs or alcohol? Um, what type of sexual activity do you take part in and how often? So, you know, how much foreplay is there? Masturbation, intercourse, visual cues, those kinds of things. And, and does this happen just with one partner or with all partners? And do you prematurely ejaculate every time you have sex with each attempt? And, and how often does it happen? How long have you had the problem? Has it been in every single relationship that you've had? All of this can be so stressful and, and it can be complex, but if you actually just break it down, take it slow, pun intended, um, you know, break it down, take a look at it, do it again. Uh, once again, I'm advising that self inventory, look at your life. You know, how is it going? Are you worried about things? Are you having financial problems? Is, are everything, are things good in the relationship? Are, you know, are you attracted to somebody else? Is your relationship ending? Is, you know, have there, have you been engaging in activities that your partner would not be happy with? You know, so these things are really important. It's important to, you know, Find, get the diagnosis, find the cause, and get the treatment, and understand that after treatment, you can live a much slower, happier life, especially in the bedroom. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.